Welcome to Keep Purring, a Carolina Panthers podcast hosted by Ben Tucker and Eric Briggs, two lifelong Panthers fans from North Carolina. Whether you're a diehard fan or a casual observer, this is the Panthers podcast for you. Do us a favor, click on the link tree in our bio and give us a follow on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Now, let's get to the episode. Welcome in to Keep Purring, a Carolina Panthers podcast. This is episode 22. You can listen to us wherever you prefer to consume your podcasts, and you can watch us on YouTube as well. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to do all the things, like, subscribe, and hit the bell icon so you get notified when we drop new episodes. The main focus tonight is going to be talking about the disappointing loss to the New Orleans Saints, Um, but before we get into that, two things. Uh, Number one, my friend and co-host, Eric, is unfortunately under the weather, um, so he's not going to be joining the conversation tonight, so that's a bummer, but that's okay, because I've got a pretty good replacement, I think. Uh, I want to introduce our special guest tonight. Um, A lot of you guys, a lot of you Panthers fans are probably familiar with him from Twitter uh, or from his Panthers podcast, Kitty Lit. He's also a contributing writer for uh, the Cat Crave blog. Mr. Ricky Reigns. Ricky, thanks so much for joining us. How you yeah, doing, man? man. Thanks for finally having me on, man. I appreciate yeah. it. You know, I've been I've been on a couple of podcasts and I listen to you guys. So uh I kind of feel like this is my culmination here of, of getting <laughs> to all of the uh popular Panthers podcasts, you know. I know, I know. I've seen you, I've seen you make the rounds, and I'm like, oh my God, we gotta get that guy on here, man. Because <laughs> I, I always seriously I do, I I love, I always think you have great things to say on, on Twitter. And I've, you, I've heard you, I've heard you on some of those other podcasts too. And um, yeah, I just, I'm, I just want to get you on here and talk about one of these games and do some Panthers therapy, you know? Yeah. You know, it's tough though. Cause we don't really have like a, a great <laughs> option here. It's not like we have, you know, <laughs> Oh, maybe we'll wait until we get a win. I, that's probably no. not in the cards here. So we kind of just got to dig in on some of these losses. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's sad because, so Eric and I and my brother, we went to the Texans game, the only win okay. yeah. of the season. So maybe y'all just need to go to all these games, man. Are y'all like uh, maybe? I don't know. It was, and it's funny, but like that was. I've been going to Panthers games. Like I, I go to at least one game every year, mm-hmm. and so I've been and I've been going to games since I was in like middle school. Yeah. Um, and but it had been a while since I had actually been in attendance for a win. And we finally were there for a win. And it was like the atmosphere was amazing. Yeah. We got the dub. And I bought, I don't know if you've seen these things, but I bought one of those like gaudy looking uh, chains with the yeah. giant Panthers yeah. logo yeah. attached to it. Yeah, those are um, terrific, man. <laughs> they are. They're great. And I, I, I had to have it as we were walking out of the stadium. They like, they got me. I had to have it. Yeah. And I like declared that this was going to be my Panthers dub chain i was gonna wear it on the podcast after after every win oh man that's mm-hmm. such a good idea and it just sucked <laughs> so bad that the team derailed it from you man <laughs> it's just, like i don't own, think like miami hurricanes turnover chain thing going on there, exactly you know? oh man exactly and i don't think maybe i'm gonna get to wear year. it again yeah, yeah. maybe next year <laughs> there you go get a new coaching staff of about 90 percent of a new roster and you might win games <laughs> exactly Let's uh, let's uh, let's get into this game then. Let's just go yeah. ahead and hop right in. Talk about the Saints game. Um, just a little recap. Uh, it, in what I think may have been, maybe you disagree. 
probably not though what might have been the worst offensive performance um of the season i mean we did we did rush for what was it over 200 yards yeah which was yeah. impressive um but we still lost 28 to 6 to the saints um i thought you know i thought bryce young made quite a few impressive plays with his legs which was yeah. good to see i mean it's not the first time we've seen him do that but sure. i really felt like he was sort of making a concerted effort to you know kind of speed up his internal clock and get out of the pocket when he knew that it wasn't there, it wasn't working. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought he did a really good he and he actually put a couple of defenders on skates. I mean oh, he made yeah. a couple guys look bad. <laughs> yeah, I think he had Demario Davis in a blender, man. And and Demario yeah. is a hell of a player. You know, he's a pretty short yeah. tackler, man. So that was an impressive one right there. It really was. Um I thought I thought he did a few good things passing, but it was mostly a struggle. Uh, you know, he missed on several throws, but of course you flip, flip the coin over. And once again, our wide receivers didn't really help him much, especially DJ Chark, right. uh, the defense, the defense. I mean, once again, what was it for three and a half quarters? They did their job, man. I think it was, it was 14 to six with like six minutes still to go in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, yeah. they held up for, what, about 38, 39 minutes of that football game? Yeah. 40 or 45 minutes of that football game? I right. mean, it's it's crazy, man. That, that What Evero has done with a very hodgepodge group, and that's without Deshaun Williams um, on right. Sunday. Yeah. They played basically a two-defensive lineman rotation for the entire game, um, which was essentially just Derek Brown when it boiled down to it because right. Derek oh, no, yeah. a one-man wrecking crew. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean that defense—you got to feel bad for them, right? They they continue to put it all out there, and they play a really stout brand of defense. And yeah, that bend don't break though, because once you get into that fourth fourth quarter, man, and you've been yep. doing that, holding that dam that entire time, mm -hmm. eventually that water bursts through, man. And it's just unfortunate that there's no uh, offensive reinforcements. Yeah, no, they get zero support from the yeah. offense week to week. Um, but like you mentioned, Jiro Evero, I just think he's. He's been a sort of a bright shining star on this team yeah. um, throughout the season. Especially, I mean, this was the first time in a while that we actually had a healthy secondary. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and it showed for the most right? part. Yeah, what? we we had everybody right full complimentary. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because C.J. Henderson was out there, right? Yep, Henderson, J.C. Horn, obviously Bell, Woods, all the guys. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, it was just. I think it was. Actually, Henderson did not record a snap. Did he really? He didn't. Okay. Mm -mm. Okay. Well, I mean, we mostly mostly full strength, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I think the play, if I remember correctly, the play that kind of um, kind of turned things was that deep ball to At Perry in the fourth Man. quarter. Man, Wake Forest guy. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what's really interesting is that I, I was actually going to post that clip earlier of that catch yeah. from uh, AT, and it was on a first down, right? It, it, it was a first down mm -hmm. play action pass from Derek Carr. It's impressive to see that a rookie wide receiver can actually track a ball. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and, and I'm not I'm not trying to be too mean. What are when you I insinuating? Yeah, but you know, it was one of those plays that if you watch that pass, though, and I do think that it's kind of um, fair to bring it up in this particular game. Mm -hmm. Because you see that where the ball actually lands from where AT was running his route, mm -hmm. he had to make an adjustment there. 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like he had to kind of slow up on the route a little bit. He had to come back to it and he had to move laterally to make that completion. And unfortunately, man, that is part of uh, not taking enough shots downfield earlier yeah. in the season with Bryce yeah. Young. He's having to calibrate his timing with his receivers right now. And a guy like Jonathan Mingo that doesn't have a strong history of running the big boy routes vertically downfield. Yeah. I just think that it's a it's a it's a thing. It's a process. It's going to take some time, man. And it and it sticks out like a sore thumb when Bryce and this Panthers offense miss those opportunities. Oh my god! It's it's <laughs> yeah. You nailed it. You nailed it on the head because I like I was texting with my brother actually earlier today, and he said something similar to that where he said he's like, "Why are we just now at this point in the season trying to actually stretch the field?" You know, they, they this should have been happening since game one. Right. They they should have been allowing Bryce to stretch the field and develop that downfield chemistry yep. with these guys. And we're seeing we're seeing it play out right in front of us right now. Yep. The lack of the lack of reps or the lack of chemistry that's yep. going on. I mean, obviously Bryce had some he had a couple overthrows in the game. Yeah. Um but but to your point earlier with when you talked about AT Perry with you know tracking the ball and mm-hmm. having to make a play on the ball like it wasn't it wasn't perfect it, he didn't just catch it in stride like he actually right. had to put some effort into making a play on it and it doesn't seem that um i mean i i think Jonathan Mingo has made some strides in the last 2 3 weeks absolutely but it yeah. doesn't it doesn't seem like he has he he gives like maximum effort on some of those some of those passes, you know? Yeah. And, and I can't tell if he, so we know he ran like a four, four, 40, um, mm-hmm. four, four, 4.46 or something like that. Yeah. He's a fast guy, but there is a difference between 40 speed and game speed in the way that they use that speed. Right. And I can't tell if he's a guy that likes to shift gears in the middle of a route at the beginning of a route. He doesn't have the um, most expansive release package. He, mm-hmm. and actually made on one of the plays where Bryce missed, Bryce and overthrew him or, or Miss Mingo overthrew him mm-hmm. by about a yard or two was on that initial pass play in this game, yeah. the very first one. Yep. Um, and Bryce identified the coverage and they they kind of did an Evero thing there where they showed too high at first and then the strong safety came crashing down or free safety came crashing down Howden and left Mathu back there in a single high. And Bryce did a great job of recognizing that and IDing it and took that chance. And I love that, man. Like a lot of fans have been saying, why can't Bryce read a defense? Why can't he identify when he has a chance? So at least he gave him that opportunity. Mingo won on that release, man, and it was a beautiful release. But it's one of the few times that I can actually point to an obvious example of Mingo winning right off the bat at the line of scrimmage. And I don't know if that has anything to do with Bryce saying, all right, he's going to go full speed this entire route and get there. And maybe he didn't do that. I. It's really difficult for me or any of us, right? Yeah to say for certainty about the the process of Mingo getting to the mark where he was supposed to get to. But that that ball didn't look like it was that far off to me. No, it um, didn't. And, and, and I also thought that I saw Mingo almost look, look forward instead of looking up again earlier than before that ball even got to the ground. Almost like he had determined he wasn't going to get to it, so he just kind of stopped. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to say that because that sounds worse than what I, I'm trying to kind of imply. It sounds like I'm saying he gave up on it. I don't think that's the case, but I think he shifted and and, and wasn't going 100% full speed the entire duration of that route. I 100% agree with you. And I, I, 
Yeah, like you don't want to necessarily say that he gave up on it. That's probably yeah. not the right terminology. But right. that that play that you're referencing that is not the first time that we've seen him do that exact thing. Think about the the Bears game, the final mm-hmm. play or one of the I think it was the second to last play in the fourth quarter on that last Panthers drive. Yeah. I thought Bryce threw a really good ball to Mingo out there to the right down the right sideline and the ball right. the ball only landed a couple yards in front of him and it was it landed in bounds. Right, right. And it was like what it just seemed like Mingo not that necessarily he gave up sure. but that he maybe slowed down a little bit in the middle of his route and maybe he wasn't expecting the ball to come to him or something. Yeah, yeah, and that's a fair that's a fair point too. But you got to just think, man, as much as people want Bryce to take these shots and they want him to be perfect on these throws, you got to have that same energy when it comes to demanding the highest level of effort and commitment to that particular play from the receivers and the playmakers as much as you are asking 22-year-old rookie Bryce Young to do it. You know, And Mingo, I get it, he's a rookie too. But on some of these yeah. plays where we talk about it, you brought up DJ Chart. Yeah. There's a there's just too many instances of a veteran player not making not completing a play, but fans want to point the finger at Bryce Young for being a tick behind on getting the ball out or something like that. But he's still right. giving his playmakers every opportunity to make most right. of these. And right. at some point, man, you got to think. You talk about elevating, or, or or so many people talk about. Can we? Can Bryce Young elevate the players around him? Right, because that's what makes a great quarterback. Right. He's a rookie quarterback right now. Can his veteran receivers and playmakers, can they elevate him for his rookie year? Can they give him a little bit of, you know, a little boost? And I'm not, that's not a short joke, but literally, can they just (laughs) give him that little bit of a boost up and help him reach his potential in his first season, as opposed to asking him to help them reach their potential in their seventh season? It just seems like a wild ask to me. No, it's that you put it perfectly. I mean, I when I think about uh, obviously the comparisons to CJ Stroud, um, I take nothing away from him. You know, I take nothing away from him. Like he has been absolutely amazing this season, yeah. um, putting up historic numbers. We know all that, and I do believe that uh, to an extent he has elevated the play of the guys around him. But like you mentioned, it's a two way street. Like sure. Think about the guys that he's throwing to. I went to the Texans game. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw Tank Dell in person. Yeah, <laughs> that, that dude, real deal. <laughs> that dude is different. He is yeah. special. We do not have an athlete like that on this team. Oh. And I know Tank Dell is also a rookie, mm-hmm. but uh, that that guy is going to be really, really good in this league. And you can't tell me that he hasn't, in some form or fashion, elevated Stroud's play as yeah. well. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, man, and I love that you bring up Tank because I think that there's this really easy linear track that we can do with Tank Dell and Jonathan Mingo because mm-hmm. they, were, they weren't they were the first-round guys, right? Some people had really high grades on some of mm-hmm. them, and then some had really low grades. Um, Jonathan Mingo was probably from his lack of production in college. Mm-hmm. Um, Tank Dell, you look at it, he was the opposite. And I think that's the interesting contrast, though, and that's why I believe Tank is so – ready to make such a direct impact his first year this is you're talking about one of the most productive college wide receivers in the game the past two two seasons before his Mm -hmm. draft right he knows he played a plethora of alignments and responsibilities in college 
And yeah, he's small, but man, he he played bigger and he ran big boy routes. He ran slot routes. He did all of those things that you would want from a rookie wide receiver to come in and make an impact. Mingo is just different than that, dude. His situation mm-hmm. is different. He didn't have that. He was injured a lot. They didn't ask him to do a whole lot in that offense as far as running the vertical routes and, and, and contested catches. That wasn't his his calling card. So when we bring him in to this Panthers offense, A, you're asking him to take that step up into the NFL. B, you're asking him to take a step up into a different position with a rookie quarterback in a brand new scheme. So while I understand that it's been disappointing and underwhelming for Mingo, and and look, man, (laughs) you can't sugarcoat that. It's been rough. He's dropped some passes. He's he's his effort has been kind of questionable at best. Um but we're asking a lot of these rookie players right now, dude, and it's been dysfunction and and just problems within this organization from the get go. Yeah, I feel I feel bad for Bryce and Mingo. Uh, yeah, I feel bad for for them both because I think I think they both have the potential to be really good players for sure. Um, so thinking about still on the topic of Bryce Young, um, just a couple other points that I wanted to make. I think. For me, I, I would like to see his um, situational awareness uh, uh, improve at times. Um, there were a couple times um, where, and this is this is not something new, where it's, uh, for example, there was a play, it was third and three, I believe, and um, he kind of, he had a deep incompletion to um, Adam Thielen down mm-hmm. the right side. And the ball actually, like, hit Thielen in both, it was a good throw, Hit yeah. feeling in the hands, and the the pass was broken up in completion, fourth down. Um, but I, I when I was watching the game, I I rewinded it. I think I watched the play over like five or six different yeah. times. Yeah, and um, because because I'm looking for that type of stuff. I'm looking for the the silver linings, but I'm also looking for like, okay, what can Bryce actually improve upon right sure. now? And I just I noticed that on that particular play again, it's like understanding the down and distance like it's third and three and may i don't know you know maybe uh jonathan mingo wasn't his um first read or even his second read in that play but on that particular play jonathan mingo just ran a little out route and and but from my vantage point like he was wide open and he was past the first down marker and so it could have been just an easy completion for a first down but but bryce decided to kind of take that chance down the field to thielen Sure. And it's an incompletion. Um, so I just that's one example. But there's been some that's a good example things. too, though, man. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I like that play. And actually I had that play was one of the ones that I looked at and circled as a as a plus for Bryce from mm-hmm. a throw standpoint. It's a great um, throw. It's a great throw. And 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 for me, it was almost the context of of making the throw with the confidence and aggression that he did. Yeah. Um, you know, so so much we hear like these hot words, right? People hear something and and that's what it sticks for the week, right? Like so this this week we obviously had the athletic report and everything yeah. is about his footwork. I don't know how yeah. many times you had somebody <laughs> telling you about his footwork, even when it right. was like just on a handoff, right? Like, well, how does his footwork look there? And yeah. don't don't dive into it too deep, man. It, you're going to give yourself an ulcer. Like it's not going to change anything. Right. Um, but for that play in in particular for me, because I, I watched that again tonight, actually. Yeah, that was the college open versus NFL open that people talk mm-hmm. about so often. There wasn't a ton of separation on that route from Adam Thielen himself. He didn't create a ton of separation. Yeah. 
I think what Bryce was able to do there is he was able to look at where he was anticipating putting that ball on that throw. Mm-hmm. And he saw a lot of green grass in that yeah, area sure. with no defender. So what he did is he said, look, I can make this throw. That's that NFL open. I can make that. And he put that. I mean, it hit Adam Thielen in the hands. Like you said, yeah, it's, it's a difficult yeah. catch, man. That's not an easy catch. In 27, they're the defensive back for New Orleans made a great play at the at the at the right moment, right? Like he knocked yeah. the ball away at the right moment. Right. I think what you said is the key about that play. I don't know the progressions. I mm-hmm. don't know the order of those reads. Yeah. And if if Thielen was his now Thielen was in the slot there. And if I remember correctly, yeah. it was three by one on that right side. Um so Thielen most likely that was a right to left read, I would guess, um would be the way that I would look at that. Um so Thielen was probably the two or the three two. on that, probably two. I man, I mean, maybe he just got to that progression in that in that sequence and he said, Hey, look, that's a throw I can make. And he took the chance. It wasn't necessarily a bad decision to your but point. You wonder, it was a good throw. Yeah, but you wonder was the easier um chain moving throw, was that within mm. that realm of making that decision in the same like time frame because when you talk yeah. about the progressions and the reads yeah sure there's the order of it that you're supposed to go through because that's the play design but yeah. it's also about the timing of it right yeah if it takes you an extra second do you have an extra second of that protection holding up and keeping you in that same exact mark that you're in to make that throw or are you going to be moved and have to make that you know out of structure <clears throat> and does that change what that receiver is going to do and what the defense does when you move that pocket so there's there's so much that goes into it, man. And I think mm-hmm. that Bryce tries really hard to calculate all of that. And sometimes that might even be some of the hesitancy that you see from him. Yeah. Because yeah. he's thinking to himself, if I throw this now, it's going to change. If I wait one second, I might have a better window at it. Mm-hmm. I think he was able to do that in college. He's still figuring out if he's able to do that in the NFL. And this might be a good example of that, of him just saying, hey, look, I've got this opportunity. It's open right now. I should yeah. take it or I have to take something that maybe has a lesser chance of success later. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I think, I mean, he's, I, I think his, his confidence has been a little rattled. I, I've always, I've been saying the last few weeks, like, I, I just want to see him. I want to feel like he's playing freer, just like go out there and play ball, man. Just like instinctual, not Absolutely. so much because we know, we know how, um, how uh, intellectual, he is, and we know mm-hmm. we know he can be a, an amazing processor. Sure, his processing speed, at least you know from a testing standpoint, is, is right. pretty pretty immaculate. But um, he's been rattled by it's a byproduct, obviously, of, of the situation that he's been put in. And I, um, a confident quarterback is the best type of quarterback. C.J. Stroud has been playing confident. Bryce Absolutely. Young has has not been playing confident because he hasn't had much reason to be confident um sure. and i just think it's it's starting to kind of have a little bit of a negative impact on just some of his decision making here and there but now to flip it on its head to talk about it just a couple other good things and then we can move on to something else but um yeah. i i thought again i i i really like when he uses his legs because i think yeah. he's deceptively um quick yeah and and he's shifty 
He's deceptively shift, shifted. He, if, if he played in New England, they would call him a gym rat. You know what I mean? Like, it would be one of those, like, he, they talk about him like he's Wes Welker or something, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, you never saw it coming. He's a small little dude. He's diminutive. Yeah. But he goes out there, man, and he gives you the work all the time, man. He does. You made a good point earlier when you brought that up, too, about, like, it seemed like he had a intent, his decisiveness yeah. with mm-hmm. making sure that like, when he had internal clock. That, yeah, that's it, man. He didn't, and and maybe that was confidence. Maybe it's also coaching. To be completely honest, he may he may have actually been coached to say, maybe. "Hey, man, look, we saw some windows on film last week, and maybe Thomas Brown is better at breaking down film in a way that Bryce Young can digest." We heard about their rapport a lot yeah. in the off season and at the beginning of the season that they spend so much time together, the two brains working together, right? Yeah. So maybe it's just a way that that film breakdown without having all those cooks in the kitchen. Maybe right. it becomes a little bit clearer for him to hone in on some of the things that he missed and the opportunities that he could have going forward. And I I, I agree with you, Ben, that I really like the decisiveness and I like mm-hmm. the um, not waiting to see if there's something better on the other side of that. We mm-hmm. know that he always has his eyes downfield. It's one of the things that he was revered for coming out as a prospect in the draft. Yeah, But sometimes you've got to make a decision. And I think that's what he did a lot in this game is – he trusted his instincts like you were asking him or saying yeah. that you wanted to see from him. Yeah, I think that those runs are a great example of his instincts. And if he does yep. that more with throwing the football, then I think that's that confident thrower that you're looking for. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. I just, I just want to see him um, use, you know, do what he's capable of doing. And I just really, I hope we continue to see that these last few games. Yeah. Um, the only it, thing it, I don't want to see is I don't want to see him land on his neck anymore, no, man. No, like, that was bad. <laughs> that that scared the heck out of me, dude. We I, we were watching at the Trey Boston watch party, yeah, and that happened. And I everyone else was like cheering because it was a first down, and I I just puckered and I just sat there and I was like, my I don't stomach know. dropped. Yeah, I felt really bad, man. And then when I saw him get up and he kind of stumbled a little bit before he did the first down sign, I was like, oh, he's gonna be in the blue tent in a second. Luckily, they didn't take him out. It's one of those things where you, especially with with obviously with his size, like you want him to protect himself. Sure. But then also, like if you're that close to the first down marker, you you're like hell yeah, man, go, go get that it. first down. Yeah. But God, that 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 was one of the first times this season. I mean, you think about all the times that he's been hit and sacked this yeah. season. That was one of the first times that I really, really was concerned for a split second. And I was like, yep. oh, no, that this might be it. That oh, looked no. bad. Yeah, it did. But he keeps getting up, man. He's he's tough. It's a That's probably the one thing that I don't think anybody would argue at this point. Right. Right. Like in the evaluation of Bryce Young, durability or I wouldn't even say durability, but toughness and willingness mm-hmm. to put your body on the line. Yeah. He has displayed that multiple times this season. And, and I do think that it's part of his game that he's going to have to use, especially early on, yeah. is his ability to create with his legs. Yeah, I, I anticipated it being more of a evasiveness and eluding pressure within the pocket type of yeah. um, strength of his. But yeah. I think that it's evolved because of the lack of explosion on this offense that he, from the position of playing quarterback and being able to see the field like that, he is probably our most dynamic threat of running the football right now. And that sounds crazy. Now, that, that doesn't mean that he's our best runner. But from mm-hmm. a dynamic standpoint, he's probably broken off as many 15 or 20-yard runs as anybody else on the team. And and some of For those sure. have been called back from holding as well. Yeah. Like if you, if you give some of those back, 
I mean, man, you're talking about this dude who probably have seven or eight 20 yard runs on his resume right now as a rookie quarterback. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I hadn't even thought about it in that context, but it's wild. <laughs> he probably it? is our crazy. most dynamic runner. And and we saw Miles Sanders had his 48 yard run, but before yeah. that, I think his long was like 17 yards or something. So I know that Bryce already had two or three more than that. I've, yeah, it's just a crazy thing to think about that Bryce Young at five foot ten, 195 pounds might be your <laughs> longest rusher of the season. <laughs> it is. You know? It is. Speaking of, though, that play, um, I had to rewind that and rewatch it a couple times. The Miles Sanders run. Yeah, that was impressive, man. Great run, isn't it? <laughs> I that, mean, that, he, that's, I think that's what everyone thought we were getting, man, when he came from Philadelphia, you know, precisely. That is that is a, that's the player that I thought. I mean. I've had him on my fantasy team a couple times in the past, like when he was with the Eagles and he gave me a lot of really good weeks when he was with that right. team. And, right. and I, I always liked watching him with the Eagles and it just to not see it translate to the field this year has been mind boggling. Um, and a lot of it know. does definitely have to do with our offensive line. I, I, I hate yeah. like always piling on those guys because I mean, dude, they've, I mean, they deserve the criticism. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that they should be absolved by it, but they, yeah. I'm sure, have heard plenty of it, right? For every yeah. every corner they turn, I am sure that somebody's like, hey, you plan on doing your job this week? Yeah. And, I, and I feel bad for them because I know right. that that's a tough thing to do and that's a tough thing to hear constantly. Yeah. Um, but Miles Sanders, dude, he's a very patient runner. You know what I mean? He, he doesn't want to – he doesn't plant and cut the way that Chuba Hubbard does one foot right. in the ground and go downhill attack. Right. Um, so just the blocking in the interior line, especially having been pushed back so often, and you're asking Bradley Bozeman to pull, you're asking people to get out there on the move that aren't right. really athletic, mobile players. Yeah, um, it, it, it's it's hampered his style for sure. I think he was injured to start the season. Mm -hmm. These last two or three weeks, man, Miles has put together a couple of really nice runs that yep. I he seems like he's getting healthy right now, which is yeah. at least fun to see. Hey, or do we want to keep him on the roster next year? Or do we want to try to find somebody that'll eat a little bit of that that salary and get him off the books? It's a that's a good question. I mean, to your point earlier, like he's the type of guy you want to get him out in space because you see when he's out there in space, yeah. he can he's got some wiggle. Like he can yeah. make some guys miss. Yep. Um, and, I and mean, he's not small, so he's still right. got the ability to finish a run as well. But he yeah. can make you miss, and then he can plow down into the end zone. Exactly. So to your point, though, about like. You know, what do they do with them moving forward? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I could see both arguments. I could see the argument of, well, he's he's making too much money. Like he's kind of get that contract off the books as much as we can, because, you know, a, a lot of people think that running backs are one of the more replaceable positions. Right. But but I could also see the other side of the coin where it's like, well, you know, with the combination of um, Chuba mm -hmm. being kind of that, you know, Every down, not every down, but the the north south in between the tackles yep. runner, and then you mix in a little bit of Miles Sanders in there. I yep. mean, I don't know. And, maybe and, 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 and you got to find somebody that's willing to take on that contract right. for Miles Sanders. So that's going to be a, a situation in itself, and you probably have to eat some of the contract for that. Um, that's true. So, I mean, I mean, maybe maybe in this next upcoming season, I mean, you got him on a four year. I think you've got a buyout or an out clause after the second year. Maybe I think if I remember correctly. Um, so you probably let him play out next year. You know what I mean? Probably. You let him yeah. do that. Um, whoever the new coach is, you're going to hope that they have a vision that meshes with the, the personnel that's on the roster. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's probably a point of emphasis, too, is that, hey, look, this is our running back room, and we're kind of saddled with Miles Sanders right now. 
It's not that we hate him, but it's going to be difficult to get him off the books. So do you have a plan that can make him effective? It, it doesn't have to be as a workhorse. You know, Frank Horse or Frank Reich, Frank Horse. <laughs> Frank Reich is the one that um, <laughs> Frank Reich is the one that really sold this. Man, we love Miles. Miles is our workhorse. He's a, yep. he's a three down back. Like we're yep. going to use him all the time. That I don't think has to be the dynamic, even if you are a great running back. Derrick Henry in Tennessee right. is not getting three down running back responsibility right now because they got Ty J Spears. And right. they understand that, hey, keep your running back healthy. Keep them fresh. So yeah. there's there's a benefit, man, from having a Miles Sanders and a Chuba Hubbard. As long as they're both effective, there is a benefit to having them both on the roster and, and playing complementary football with Bryce Young in the passing game. Yeah, for sure. And and I would even throw – I still believe in Raheem Blackshear. I still think he could yeah. he could contribute a lot more than he's been, been given the opportunity to I do. hate that he slipped on that fourth down and one, man. Oh, I absolutely hate it I because – I, he was open on the route. It was a good read by Bryce. Yep. I think that that's a completion and it extends the game. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a damn shame, dude. And it, and it sucks for Raheem because I think he only played, what, four or five snaps on offense in in this game. Mm -hmm. um, I'd have to look at that snap count. And I have it somewhere. But he played, he played a very low amount of snaps. Um, yeah, four on offense. So that was one of his only opportunities. But when he's been given opportunities earlier in the season, man, he's shown that he is – the, the shiftiest and, and, and most speed efficient running back yeah. that we have on, on the roster. I agree. Um, hey, you know, one silver lining for Raheem Blackshear, it has a really sweet move to get off the turf on that fourth and one, right? When he dropped it, he did a nice little <laughs> yeah. flip up. Like that, that was a really sweet move, man. I, I'm always really impressed when I see guys that athletic. I know. What do you call that? I'm getting out of bed. Um, I, don't, I, I, I would probably call it like the Michelangelo or the Raphael move or something, you know, okay. some sort of like getting up off the turtle shell. Get yeah. it off real quick. It, it's I guess it's like a kick up or something. It's I, like a kick. Yeah, I've been I've I'm very well aware of it. I've been trying to do it since I was a kid. <laughs> never been able to um, yeah. accomplish it. Yeah, but, you might uh, be on the wrong side of of, of the <laughs> of the laws of Earth. You know, yeah. <laughs> you need to kind of figure it out at this point. But yeah, I think but, my days. Hey, man, yeah, <laughs> I, I, that's just me though. I struggle getting out of bed with aches and pains. So I mean, there's no way I see somebody do that. <laughs> I about sprain my ankle, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna slip and fall on a fourth down, and you know, have the ball hit you in the chest and and you not catch it, the yeah. the best way to recover from it is to do what he did. Absolutely. That awesome. Absolutely, man. Go out in style, dude. If you're gonna fail, fail with style. <laughs> but no, I felt bad for him. Like you could tell, the camera kind of zoomed in a little bit on his face. Yeah. After yeah. as he was walking off the field, you could tell he was just so disappointed. It's a tough play, um, man. And it it's wasn't. Tough. It's not like it's his fault either. You know what I mean? It just sucks. It's a it's an yeah. unfortunate situation that he slipped. Um, yeah. And I, I hope that he keeps on getting chances because I still think that he can provide some value for this football team. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a couple of other things, I guess, from and and let me know if you think of anything else from specifically yeah. from the game. I thought that uh, once again, like as I've been saying, as we've all kind of seen the last few weeks, Chuba Hubbard to me just continues to be impressive. Absolutely, um, he he's. I just think he's made so many strides. Is is this his third year or fourth year? Do you know? Fourth. I just feel like it might be fourth, but. I just feel like, man, he's come such a long way from when he first started. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I just well, continue and, to be and, impressed by him. Yeah. And, you know, man, what's really interesting, too, is that they 
they had the interview with him last week, last week, right? When he was in the locker room and he was talking about his performance so far this year. Yeah. And he talked about being healthy. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think that that's the honest to God biggest thing here. And, and it's going to sound really silly because you talk about the surgeries that he had were before his rookie season. And then right after his rookie season, it's like, how could that still affect him coming into this year? Right. Yeah. Shouldn't he have been okay by then? If you don't ever have an off season of being fully healthy and being able to really put on like the strength training it's the thing yeah. that we all heard about right at the beginning of training camp this year right you saw pictures of chuba hubbard and you heard you put on 20 pounds of functional strength yeah and it, and it was apparent right out of the gates man that he kept all of the explosiveness that he had his legs i mean that's that's chuba's calling card as he churns those legs dude they never yeah. stop right putting on functional strength to that I mean, that's what you see. He's he's a load to bring down. And when he puts that foot in the ground and he goes, I mean, dude, he's he's got a engine to him. That dude takes off like he's been shot out of a cannon when he sees open, open ground. Um, one part that I really saw from him on Sunday, especially, I think this was on a third down play, maybe actually the third down right before the fourth and one, that they that Bryce was under pressure and he got it out to Chuba in the flat. And the throw was behind Chuba, and he reached mm-hmm. behind him and made the catch. And it was an all-hands catch with his body going the other way. His momentum was taking him to the right. His hands were to the left. Chuba has been chastised, man, for his, oh, yeah. for his hands, right? That has yeah. been one of the big knocks on him in one of the – I don't know that he could be a, a significant contributor until he shores yeah. up his hands. I think he's demonstrated this year. I, I don't know. Maybe he's had one drop, I think, all season. If that – Yeah. I think he's demonstrated that that is something that he has put an onus on improving and he yeah. has improved it. And for sure. what else can you ask for from a young player, right? Uh, you got a guy that has a deficiency <laughs> yeah. in his game. And, yep. and it's like almost saying like, man, Shaq, can't you make a free throw? Just go practice, go shoot right. free throws. <laughs> I just, I mean, Chuba, they said he was yep. on the jokes machine every single day after training camp. He put a clear concerted effort into becoming a better receiver and yep. he's done it. I, I want to see what yes. he can keep doing, man. I think that he's got a trajectory that is only going to continue to get better. I don't think that he's plateaued yeah. here. I think he's ascending. No, for sure. I, to me, like going into next season, he he is like a key player for me. He's someone yeah. that I'm like, do not whatever. I don't know what his contract situation is off the top of my head, but I'm just like, do not let that guy walk out the door because we need some dependable players. Right, right. right. And, and, uh, and I mean – if his contract is, and I, I'll, I'll try to find out while we're still on here, but if his contract is up um, next year, I think it might be. Mm-hmm. He signed a four-year contract with the Panthers in May of 2021. So, yeah, okay. he's here for another two years. Oh, sweet. Okay, um, great. And and he's on a major budget. You'll be yeah. able to negotiate with him if you want to, you know, towards the end of next season and, and, and sign him to an extension. Um, I don't think that... I still don't think that he's a player that's going to demand a giant amount of money. So I think that you can keep this integral part of your offense and still kind of save a little bit in the cap room. Right. Yeah. So I, I absolutely would try to try to emphasize including him in the offense going forward, include him in the plans and yeah. see if you can't build the other positions and let Chuba be that running back one. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm with you on that. Um, I want to just, uh, Switch gears just real quick about the yeah. talk about the defense. Um, so we mentioned it earlier. Obviously, obviously they they had three and a half quarters of of solid play. I mean, yeah. we were down fourteen to fourteen to six, but 
Uh, mm -hmm. Seven of those points were from the blocked, uh, right. blocked punt. Right. Um, so just another impressive performance for three and a half quarters from them. Um, but specifically, I want to ask you a, your opinion on Brian Burns. Um, yeah. He's obviously, uh, you know, a kind of a um, polarizing topic amongst fans because yeah. it's like – Obviously, we've we've had some deals in the past, had some offers for him that we didn't take. Right. Uh, he could have, based on the reporting that they gave us after the draft, um, he we we potentially could have traded him as part of the package to move up to number one, but right. we decided to trade DJ Moore instead. Right. Then this, you talk about the trade line uh, trade deadline this year. Mm -hmm. And it was reported that there were a few teams interested in him. I don't know specifically what was offered for him. Right. But it, it's pretty clear. <laughs> well, I say the word clear. Um, it seems like they want to keep him around long term, but then they're sending mixed messages with the contract negotiations. Then you throw in the layer of, well, he hasn't had the best season statistically sure. this year. Um, I, where do you stand on, on Brian Burns and, and like his future with the team? Do you want him, do you want them to lock him up and just pay him what he thinks he deserves or with considering where this team is at, at this point, um, do you think it's better just to find the best possible deal for him, especially if it includes a first round pick? I don't know what what I don't know where I'm at with it. That's why I'm curious <laughs> yeah, about, yeah. about your opinion. No, yeah, like it, it, I think the right way to describe it would I, I'm not teetering on do I want Brian Burns to be a Panther because I do want Brian Burns to yeah. be a Panther, and I think that he's integral to the defense. Me too. I also think that there's some context that goes into his usage and the usage of other players on this defense right now because mm -hmm. of the injuries that we faced. Mm -hmm. Like Sunday is a good example, right? Um, Frankie Louvu played 100% of the snaps. He was the only linebacker to play 100% of the snaps. You would probably think that Camus Grugier Hill was the secondary interior linebacker. I think that he played 21% of the snaps. He played 11 snaps. <laughs> okay. We didn't use a very linebacker heavy rotation, but Brian Burns played 85% of the snaps. He played 44. Yeah. And we dropped Burns in coverage a lot this season. And That's true. That, is, that is taking away pass rush opportunities. Yep. And it's and it's a situation where when you look at guys like Marquise Haynes, who's only playing 30% of the snaps now that he's back, it's because he's playing pass rush situational downs. Mm -hmm. They're not trusting him to be a full spectrum linebacker in this 3-4 or, or even these odd nickel-based <clears throat> defenses. Um, but Burns is. And mm -hmm. so what Burns is, Burns is running into a very similar view, in my opinion, as what Frankie Louvu has from a statistical standpoint this season. They're being asked to pick up responsibilities that are outside of what they were planning on doing at the beginning of the season. And they're doing it well. And, yeah. and, and it's not their forte, so it, it, it doesn't show up as, as like these impact plays in box scores. Um, and they don't necessarily look supernatural in it. They're going to have some times where you, you'll see them get exploited. I know a lot of people are pointing to Brian Burns getting handled by tight ends in this game against the New Orleans Saints. And yeah, man, he there were some one-on-one -on -one reps with uh, Foster Moreau that I thought that Moreau just got the better of him. 
it's yeah. going to happen. And also when you're playing yeah. almost 100% of snaps with Brian Burns that he's coming off of this elbow injury, there's probably some fatigue there, man. And he's, and he's probably just getting worn out. But this is a guy that when he didn't play against the Bears, the pass rush was non-existent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was for sure. non-existent. It wasn't there, right? Yep. You look at it, even this week, I at least saw him in the backfield. I mm-hmm. can't remember seeing anyone. I think I saw YGM one time get a pressure. Yeah. Um, Derek Brown, obviously, is a one-man yep. marching band. Like you, uh, Derek Brown, I think, is a priority for me on defense, personally. Um, 100%. Yeah, and he should be right because he's been yeah. outstanding, and he and he has a lot of value in the run game as well. Um, he's a centerpiece. You build off of him. I also think that Brian Burns can be a centerpiece, though. Yeah. The issue is what you brought up, and it's the trading of DJ Moore instead of Brian Burns, only to not sign him to a contract extension. Yeah. It's that fumbling on the front office side that really makes this a glaring issue. I, I, yep. I, and sometimes I think that fans, though, we we incorporate too much of that into our opinions on the players and what they bring to the field. Mm-hmm. I can't focus too much on what Scott Fitterer failed to do in the front office. When I'm watching the games and I'm a football fan, mm-hmm. Brian Burns is absolutely integral to any chance of success for this defense. So yep. going forward, I want him to be on this team. Do I think that $30 million is the price tag that he should get paid after this year? Probably. <laughs> and I know that sounds counterintuitive <laughs> because he hasn't put up this huge season. But what he's done yeah. is he's proven his worth when he's yeah. playing out of position and, and taking on extra responsibilities. If you sign yeah. him a running mate over on the opposite side, a legitimate running mate on the opposite side, yep. don't you think that that can help his actual production and take off some of these double teams take out some of those responsibilities for sure i worry very much man that we have seen some of our best players and dj moore cmc um hassan reddick stephen gilmore right you see all these guys stefan gilmore see all these guys go to other places and what do they do they fall <laughs> Ball out, out. Yeah, exactly I, I just don't want to see zero spidey in a different jersey just racking up sack numbers, man. Because one thing that Brian hasn't done as well, he hasn't made a ton of business decisions when it comes to taking time off here in, in Carolina. Absolutely. There were some other players, man, that there was some some dialogue around them, some great players that there was dialogue about them taking plays off for business decisions or taking games off yep. because they didn't want to risk it because there wasn't a reason to play. Burns did everything the exact right way, man. Yep. And Maybe I'm loyal to a fault. Maybe that's the Marty Herney inside me, right? That I just want to I want to <laughs> right. reward a contract for guys that are loyal to my team. Yeah. Um, but I think that Burns has earned a contract, and I'm completely comfortable if it's in the 28 to 31 million dollar range because that market will reset again in two years, anyways. Miles Garrett, Michael Parsons, they're gonna <clears throat> they're gonna they're gonna demand like 35, 36. So yeah. if you get Brian Burns for 29, dude, you're you're okay, man. You can build yeah. with that. That's my yeah. ego. Now you make a solid point. I the the point about him dropping into coverage, I hadn't mm-hmm. really thought about that. And that but that that is the case. And so yeah. his opportunities have been lessened. Yeah. Um and then just the whole the whole factor of you know, if you trade him and you get a let's say you get a first round pick and I don't know, a second round pick and a third round pick. Mm-hmm. I don't really know exactly what he would garner. Right now in a trade, but let's just say you get something along those lines. Well, well, then you got to go pick the players. And yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> right now we don't, it, it, as it currently stands, uh, we do not have a front office that we can trust to make 
solid draft choices. Yeah, great point. Um, that's a point. That's one factor. But then your other point as to the fact that we've seen so many good Panthers players, really good Panthers players, yeah. be traded away or just we let them walk. And then they go they they go to their next team and they just ball out and that's exactly what would happen with Brian Burns like think I, about it hell right <laughs> yeah no yeah. yeah if if we traded him to the Rams last year and we got those two first round picks then yeah okay great we got two first round picks but he would probably be an All Pro with the Rams oh he he would have looked like Von <laughs> Miller in their Super Bowl run he would have just right. been wreaking havoc on the, on whatever side yeah. they put him right. Yep. You know, and, and while we were sitting here talking about this, the other thing that I'm thinking of too with Brian Burns, offenses when we're playing, when when opponents come in and they look at us and they game plan for what we do well on defense and what we don't do well. Mm-hmm. We saw even the Minnesota Vikings, who were one of the most prolific pass offenses in in the entire league, come in and run the ball with Alexander Madison thirty yeah. times, right, and Ty Chandler. Teams are scheming against us to run the football. How can you rack up sacks when opponents are running the ball 60 to 63% of offensive snaps against you, right? Yeah, great point. You're asking him to do something differently because of the other holes and glaring issues on this roster. Defenses can look at us and say they got nothing up the middle. Like, we'll just run the damn ball, man. Like, force them to stop us running the ball before we even mess with letting Brian Burns tee off and come after our quarterback like i don't want that <laughs> dude chasing after my quarterback he's six foot five yeah, no. 240 and he's fast like i don't want yeah. that anywhere near my guy right. i know what we can do run up the middle they got nothing there and so they're doing that man yeah. i think that when you can build more competency from a um conceptual standpoint and from a roster composition standpoint I think that you'll see Brian Burns is still just as good, if not better, than he was when we saw him in 2022. I, yeah. It's just an unfortunate situation, man. But I am really taking this entire season with like the biggest grain of salt, right? <laughs> like, yeah. And I know that I know that sounds like making an excuse. I, I really do get that. Like it sounds like I'm saying, like, no, man, you can't you can't figure that out. It's not a cop out <clears throat> to me, though. This is the weirdest season of Panthers football I can remember. I remember other seasons where we sucked and I could point to why we sucked. Mm -hmm. Looking at this team, I was a fool, man. I picked 10 game wins, right? No, 10 and seven. That was it. I was like, we're going to win the NFC South, dude. We're going to surprise everybody. I still look at the team. That's still, man. I, I, the disillusion inside me, I can still look at this team and be like, we should not be one in 12. Like, this is bananas to me. So something has just gone so haywire that I refuse to believe that the players that I've seen as good players up until yeah. this point, I refuse to believe that they just fell off the the side of the earth with their production. I think that it's everything else around them. For sure. And I was right there with you. We did right before the season started, we did predictions, record predictions. And we did a, <laughs> we did a, a twofold prediction. We did a, a best case scenario and a worst case scenario. Yeah. My best case scenario was 10 and 7. My worst case scenario, I believe, was 5 and 12, something yeah. like that. But I oh, also man, had the caveat. Five and 12. <laughs> right, exactly. But I also threw, I remember I threw in the caveat of 5 and 12, but I really don't see this team losing more than, or um, I really don't see this team winning less than seven games, right. considering what we did last year. 
Right. Yeah. And it's just so funny to look back on all of that. And we all, we, understandably, we all fell for it. Like yeah. none of us, no one expected us to be yep. this bad and this inept. Yep. Um, there's a lot of work to do, obviously, with the team. But uh, we have a couple mailbag questions. But before we get to those, uh, anything else on your end from the Saints game that you wanted to touch on or you think we're yeah. – no, I think I, I really liked um, what I saw from J.C. Horn and Dante Jackson. Yes. I think that it's worth yes. uh, giving them some props for their their play. Um, yep. I, there was obviously the big play with J.C. where almost looked like he oh. got beat deep. Um, and then he he, he kind of cranked up that speed. He turned it up yep. a notch and got his hand right then in there at the last minute. And he did the seatbelt clamp. Yep. I mean, that, it that was, was amazing. It was, it was great, man. And it, and it, and it seemed like JC was back. And, and I thought that when I was watching the game, and again, I was at that watch party, so I was probably watching a little less intently than I typically would at home. Yeah. Um, but I thought that I was like, man, I, I'm pretty sure he's played almost this whole game. And then the snap counts come out today, and he's 100% snap counts. He played the entire game, man, wow. after being on that pitch count last week. So I'm really uh, encouraged by the fact that J.C. seems healthy and he seems like he shook off the rust within one game. <laughs> yep. Dante Jackson is back to his rightful position as the number two corner, where mm -hmm. I think that he finds a much better rate of success, man. I think he's more yep. comfortable there. And, and then you had uh, Von Bell and Xavier Woods out there healthy. I really like it, man. I like this secondary. I like what yep. Evero can do with them. And I think it's going to be a shame when Evero doesn't stick around next year, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, 100%, man. Yeah. I, like, I don't think there's any chance. E even if he was, um, you know, gets an interview for the head coach position, yeah. considering the fact that he's been – he's seen all the behind-the-scenes dumpster yeah. fire that's been and happening. This and, and, and from all of the local reporting, he wasn't even approached – for the opportunity at the interim position. Yeah. Not that he would have took it anyways, right? Yeah. Um, but I think not approaching the guy that's leading this unit with all of yeah. these injuries and doing what he's doing, I think that that's a little bit disrespectful in my book. No, 100%. Um, that was surprising to, for me to see too. And like you said, like no guarantee whether or not he would have accepted it considering right. what he did last in Denver. I think last year he was offered it to the interim position and he, he declined it. Yeah. Um, so who knows, but he, he definitely deserved it. Um, I just think coming away from this game, just to wrap up the Saints yes. game. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just want to touch on that one. I didn't mean no, like, no, you're fine. No, I just think that it's clear that our defense is is talented. Absolutely. Our defense is really good. And uh, they just receive zero support from our offense. Yeah. So if we can keep our core guys – going into next year. And then you, you talk about there's even some guys that have kind of popped up out of nowhere this year. Like I've been pretty impressed with Troy Hill for the yeah. most part. Yeah. Um. So guys like that, if we can keep our core guys around and I guess, I don't know for sure what's going to happen with Shaq Thompson next right. year. Uh, I think, does he have another year on his deal? Yeah, um, I think, well, yeah. Man, did he sign two years or one year? I feel like he has one more year left. Yeah, I think he year. does. I, I just worry about the recovery from the injury. I know. But, I, but yeah, it, look, I I love Shaq, and I think that he's exactly what we're missing right now on this defense, too, from an interior yeah. linebacker standpoint. Um, yeah. Say, so we'll see what happens with that. We'll see what happens. But I just think we our, our defense, I think, if we can keep those core guys together, is mm -hmm. in pretty good shape moving yep. forward. We just yep. have to completely retool the, the weapons on offense Agreed. and 
the offensive line, I mean, I don't, I, again, not to be like, not to beat a dead horse, but yeah, obviously they've had their struggles. Mm-hmm. I mean, to put it lightly, yeah. <laughs> um, they've had a lot right. of injuries too. That's right. Um, yeah. But we'll see. I mean, I know, I know some people still believe in Icky and um, Bradley Bozeman does some things well, especially in the run game, but he mm-hmm. struggled. He's struggled a lot in the past mm-hmm. game. Yep. Um, so we'll see. Maybe they can. I, I just think for me, moving forward, considering what they gave up to draft Bryce Young. Right. The, the For me, the two main focuses uh, is, is on offense need mm-hmm. to be wide receiver and offensive line. Like those Absolutely. are the two things that we need to invest money and draft capital in. Yeah. Starting next year. Yeah. And <laughs> you I know, the offensive good. line, man, is going to be a really interesting thing, I think. Yeah. Um, you look at the offensive guard position, and, and it's been a turnstile all season, right? And and we thought that we had Brady Christensen. He got through one game where he played really well in that one game. Yeah. Um, I also that's also where I'm very muddy with this situation, though, is because Brady has this entire NFL season that he's rehabbing from that torn bicep. Then he has the yeah. entire offseason. Yep. There is a good chance he's a hundred percent and ready to go. I mean, there's plenty of offensive linemen that are playing after torn biceps like that's not that's not a that's not an injury that is a career ender or anything by by any stretch of the means um so he he absolutely could come back and be 100 and if he is he's a pretty effective guard Mm -hmm. he was always looked at as the position that you could upgrade over if you were looking at that unit but that was also giving icky a ton of benefit of the doubt and that was also in a power run game for bradley bozeman right yeah if you remove those two parts of that hypothetical equation Brady Christensen is a really solid interior offensive lineman. If Austin Corbett also has the added extended period of time to heal and recover, and he comes back and plays close to what he played in 22, I mean, you could be okay right there with your starters at left and right guard if they come back to that form of play. Yeah. That's why I think that if you're looking at 33 for an offensive line draft pick, Almost got to look at a tackle there, man. And and it's not to to uproot Icky, but Icky has been the de facto left tackle since he was drafted at six. Yeah. Because they just thought that he should be there because he was the high pick. And yeah. there also hasn't been any majorly legitimate competition in camp right. to push him to earn that spot. Bring somebody in, whether it's free agency or, or, or the draft. And make that a legitimate, honest competition in camp and make him earn that starting left tackle position. And if it doesn't work, then start looking at what you could do uh, as a contingency plan with him, right? Does he yeah. have the ability to kick it inside? Could he be a mm-hmm. depth piece? Could he be a swing tackle? What are what are the options for that for Icky if it's not going to work out at the left tackle? Somebody has to start making an actual plan instead of just saying, no, 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 he's going to be okay. I, w- right. I want to see like action behind it and I want some gumption behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. All right, let's get to these mailbag questions. We yeah. got two of them. Um, first one. So this comes from the Panthers Magpie NFL UK at Panthers Magpie on Twitter, also known as Keg. Um, so he asked, "Who loses their job in January? <laughs> Who do you think? What do you uh-huh. got?" I mean, you want like a list, like a running list. I, I don't know. I think, I think, I think that just about everybody loses their job in January. Um, I think that it's a clean slate, and yeah. I think that it has to be that way. And and 
you'd look at like a guy like Jim Caldwell, right? I don't know that he's necessarily done anything to lose his job, but mm-hmm. I also don't know what you can tangibly point to to say that he should stay here. Now, I'm a proponent of him getting a head coaching interview here because I think that he could do a better job from a CEO coaching standpoint than maybe some of the um, wild card. And I'm not talking about like the Bobby Slowick or the Ben Johnson type of play or, or coaching prospects. But for, if you're looking at somebody for the next year or two that you just want to try to stabilize the ship and then bring in an offensive coordinator to work with, Jim Caldwell is a guy that has a ton of experience in bad situations. So I'd be okay with him getting a at least an interview for the head coaching yeah. job here. I'm also completely okay with wiping house. Ajiro Evero can stay here as long as he wants to in my book. I don't think <laughs> yeah. he wants to stay here, right? No. I think that he's going to say thank you, but no thank you. I'm on my way out. Thomas Brown seems like a nice dude. I don't know that Thomas Brown has done enough to say that if we're getting rid of everybody, you've done enough to stay. I, I, I just can't tie myself to that. Um, yeah. I think Scott Fitterer's gone. I think Dan Morgan is gone. Uh, yeah. Adrian Wilson would probably be one of the only guys in the front office that I would look at and, and give a honest evaluation before I moved on from him because he's a new component to this front office. He wasn't here with the Matt rule. He didn't come in with Fitter or he didn't come in with Dan Morgan. So I would at least give him a fair evaluation before moving on because I think that he has a little bit of intriguing qualities to him. Um, Suleiman. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I don't know how I'm supposed to judge that. I don't love some of the contracts, but some of those contract negotiations are also with the GM. So right. it, it's difficult for me. He's done a good job of wiggling some cap room, though. I think that he's made some really smart moves in the off-seasons to create space. Yeah. And maybe this off-season he gets another chance at proving that because we could go from 45 to $50 million in cap to close to 70 on some of the mm-hmm. projections that I've seen. So, I, I mean, I think there's still work for him to do. But it, in my gut opinion, man, I think that just about everybody who's employed right now is going to be gone in January. Well, what I don't know about, did Suleiman come in? Was he here prior to Fitterer getting here? I don't think so. I think that he came in at the same time. Did he come in with, like, is he tied to Fitterer, you know? I don't think he's one of Fitterer's um, guys, but I think that he came in at the same time. I think that he was an okay. individual individual hire, um, yeah. but I do think that he came in at the same point. Okay. Yeah, I... I I think I agree with you. I, th- I think that they have to clean house. Like that's the only way forward. That's the only way that makes sense. Um, Scott Fitterer is at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he has to go. Um, mm-hmm. He just he just made too many decisions. That some of the decisions and some of the decisions that he has not made um, have just been too detrimental to this roster. Uh, and it's one thing that uh, Eric originally said that that I kind of latched onto about Scott Fitterer and this front office is that um, the kind of the, the sin, the ultimate sin that they committed this season is not necessarily that they put the roster together. It's that they actually thought that this roster was good enough to compete. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So from a, from like a player evaluation and a roster evaluation standpoint, it just seems to be completely off. Yeah. And that's the most concerning aspect, you know? Totally. Absolutely. And and so we're sitting here talking about um, Suleiman. It actually, it, he was here in 2021. So he came mm-hmm. with, not came with Fitterer and everybody, but at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, but he was promoted to his current position in 2022. 
Now, here's a really interesting thing. While you're talking about player evaluation and stuff like that, in this article from the Carolina Panthers website, Federer credits Suleiman for all the things that they were doing. He's he's been instrumental for us over this past year from signing Hassan Reddick and other free agents, like all these guys that are gone now, right? But then finishes it up at the end. It says, Federer said that Suleiman could also help the front office in player evaluation. Man, I bet you Suleiman wished that wasn't in writing right now, right? Like, like <laughs> yeah. I, I wish he wish he had that plausible deniability to say, no, no, I have nothing oh, to do with the, the player evaluation because that's <laughs> a pretty damning thing to have written too. That it when is. you look at it and say, well, now he's also involved in the contracts and the evaluation of talent. Yeah, he might be gone too. Um, James Campen and and Chris Tabor are also a couple of guys that are worth mentioning because those are. You know, yep. Tepper's guys, those are holdovers from the rule era. They got to go. And and Tabor, man, I like Tabor. He's a really good special coach or special teams coach. You can't ask him to take the interim job and then come back and, and coach special teams again, right? Like, he's he's just that's just <laughs> not going to work. So, yeah, I, I think at some point, man, you cut bait with everybody and you just say, let's let's build something new. Yeah. And to, I was going to mention Tabor. Um, I forgot to mention the uh, second question, which was along the lines of the first question that sure. we got, which was from Nick um, from Roll Coverage at Roll Coverage Pod on Twitter. He asked, what, what are your thoughts on moving on, moving forward on Thomas Brown, Evero, Tabor? Do you think they're retained long term? We kind of already touched on all that, but right. specifically about Thomas Brown, yeah. I wanted to mention uh, the tweet, you know, the tweet heard around the world. Yeah, from yeah. his uh, from his wife, that's right. Of all people, um, that uh, she commented on someone's post and essentially said, uh, "What was it?" So, so uh, Charlotte sports fan on Twitter posted, "If we're keeping it a buck, Thomas Brown should be fired tomorrow." Mm. Thomas Brown's wife replied, "said um, We are fired." We just have to stay behind because someone has to call plays. Mm. If you guys know someone else to do that the next four games, give Tepper a holler as if this is fun for us. <laughs> and then she deleted her account. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, Thomas, so Thomas Brown, is he going to stick around or? <laughs> I, I, I just don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I, I'll start by saying that I really enjoy listening to Thomas Brown. Me too, man. You know yes. what I mean? I, I really do yes. like enjoy it very much. He seems like such a genuine dude. Mm-hmm. And I also think that he is the one that drew the shortest stick of everybody on this coaching staff. Yes. He came in completely on his own, man. Like I, I, I it almost feels like if you ever watch like Sons of Anarchy, there's like, you know, they're like biker gangs, right? And you've got like these affiliated gangs of people that know everybody else. And then you have yeah. nomads. And these nomads, they don't have a home. They're they're kind of affiliated with people, but they're not. But they're okay. People aren't going to yeah. like cause violence with them, but they're also not part of the home crew. That's the feeling that you almost got when Thomas Brown was put on this staff. Is it? Yeah, man. Everyone likes him. Everyone respects him. But like, mm-hmm. he's not one of these. Like, mm-hmm. one of the guys in their clubs, right? Yeah. And that sucks because I think that if Thomas Brown was more of the focal point in his philosophies and what he sees the NFL game as from an or from an offensive standpoint. I think that just from what I know about his his um coaching tree and the in the upbringing in the NFL, he has more outlook to him than some of these other guys did, right? Like Josh McCown, yeah. man, he got Josh McCown took a head coaching interview for the Houston Texans. <laughs> he had never held an NFL coaching position before. Right. So it's right. like, I, 
there just is a part of me that thinks that Thomas Brown definitely got the rawest deal here. But yep. at the same exact token, it's all a performance-based business. And the performance of this Carolina Panthers offense has been historically poor. So I cannot feel empathy or sympathy for any of them if they end up unemployed at the end of this season. I think that Thomas Brown will bounce back. I hope that he does. I hope that that whole fiasco with the play calling being taken back and forth, I hope that yeah. doesn't do too much for him, man, because that that is a really detrimental thing too. Yeah. Um, as far as what his wife said too, man, I will touch on that just for a second. I don't blame <laughs> her one damn bit, man. No. You know what? If I was going through the hell that Thomas Brown is going through right now and catching all the strays that he's catching, some some I'm sure he's earned, but some also is just sort of like, hey, what do you want me to do, man? I'm running a 60-year-old right. dude's coach or playbook right now, and I yeah. can't implement my own stuff for five more games. I, I'm screwed. Right. I'm pretty positive that my wife, she's a fiery lady, I am pretty positive <laughs> that she would be on at least one social media site replying yeah. back to a bunch of people, right? <laughs> I have yeah. no problem with loved ones standing up for their people, man. That's exactly no, how it either. works in my household, so I got no issue with that. I think that she's also a very intelligent person because she got rid of that account real quick. It was like, yeah. I'm really sorry. I don't want to make this worse. So let me right. just <laughs> where we are, right? Maybe she can make a new account when she gets when Thomas gets the next job, and I hope that yeah. that happens. But I, but I do, I, I hope that fans don't get too rabid with her on this whole no, thing. And I guess no. she doesn't have an account, so what are you going to do, right? Um, yeah, exactly. But I, but I, but I do think that what she did is completely within um, realm of reality to do for somebody that you love. Yeah, I hundred percent agree, and I, I feel bad for Thomas Brown. I, I, like, like yeah. I said, it's a performance based business, so you know, he, he did have a great amount of involvement mm-hmm. in putting this playbook together. Now, what we don't know essentially or uh what we what we don't know the details of really are um how much of that playbook was really him and how much of it was really reich and it, right. it seems like it was more definitely skewed more reich than brown yeah yeah i mean look <laughs> um, you look at the tendencies of the offense right and it's yeah. it's pretty damn textbook to what they were doing in indianapolis and last yeah, year for, yeah. for a lot mm-hmm. of the major parts of it yeah so you, you hear the collaborative effort talked about all the time but it didn't seem like a whole lot of collaboration when it boils down to it. So no. So yeah, man, he might be sitting here trying to run Frank Reich's offense in with a whole bunch of players that have no business running Frank Reich's offense, and that sucks. Yeah, I, it does suck. And then, like you mentioned, the mid after three games of him being yeah. being given that opportunity to call plays, it's it's stripped stripped away from him, and yeah. that was obviously Reich just being like, if I'm going to go down with this with this sinking ship, I'm going to go out my way yeah um self-preservation uh-huh. uh and i just i i i, I 100 agree like he got the raw end of the deal mm-hmm. um in this entire thing and and i i hope that of, of all the coaches on this team like i really hope that he bounces back and he seems like a super super bright football mind yeah. and i enjoy i like you mentioned like same here i always enjoy listening to his press conferences mm-hmm. i always come away impressed like i i tweeted i've tweeted the same thing like two or three separate times throughout the season where it's been like every time i listen to a thomas brown press conference i come away thinking future head coach yeah yeah 100 you know? percent. 
And and you know what? Maybe he's got a longer path to it now. Maybe this was the, yeah. they thought that this was like the almost like acceleration program type of situation. Mm-hmm. He was gonna come in here. He had Bryce Young. He had this offense, and he was gonna be able to show his stuff right away. Yeah, yeah, man. Maybe he's got to take the longer path here. He's got to climb a higher ladder. But I still think that Thomas Brown has that perseverance and that fight in him. And you can hear it the way that he talks. You can hear about him talking about yeah. his upbringing and stuff like that. Like. This dude isn't going to give up because things no. didn't go well. And and no. you're correct. The raw end of the deal, he definitely drew the shortest stick. Yeah. But it, it's one of those very rare instances of somebody getting a raw deal, but also getting a justified ending from mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if he's gone, if he is fired and relieved of his duties, there is actual cause for it. It's not simply because they're doing a performative gesture. Yeah. And you know what else? One other thing that I thought about with him is like, obviously, there's been all this talk about, um, you know, who on this coaching staff wanted Bryce Young, who wanted CJ Stroud. And yeah, um, that's always going to be that's always yeah. going to be a mystery. I, I'm yeah. still personally in the camp that I still believe most of them wanted Bryce Young because that's yeah. that, that's what we've kind of been told. But for me, another thing that kind of pains me about Thomas Brown is he genuinely seems like someone that believes in Bryce Young. Absolutely. He, he, yeah. he, you could tell from even if you go all the way back to some of the interviews that they had with him um, pre draft, it seemed like he wanted that Bryce Young was the type of quarterback that he wanted. Right. And so I 100% say what you will about Frank Reich. I 100% believe that Thomas Brown, when it came time to put their vote in for the quarterback that they wanted, yeah. He, his vote was Bryce Young like that. I just I just feel that way. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't think you're wrong about that at all, man. It just sucks that he's probably not going to, you know, get, he's probably going to be gone after this year and he's not going to continue to get the opportunity to work with the quarterback that he wanted to draft. And it, and it also really sucks for Bryce because, you know, what? Yeah. Throughout a lot of this, too, what I think gets gets lost sometimes. It, it, I'm really glad that you said that about Thomas Brown being a Bryce supporter seemingly from the beginning, right? Is that right now you've got a lot of people doubting Bryce Young and saying yeah. that he was the wrong choice. And 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 some of the self-preservation that you're hearing from within the building, right? Like from the person in Rossini article, you've got Fitterer and uh, supposedly James Campen, right? And I won't say that it was him, but they said an offensive coach. And there's a lot of insinuation that it was probably James Campen that did it because who else are you looking at, right? Josh McCown yeah. is gone. Deuce Daly is gone. If it was one of them that was playing the self-preservation game, they played it really poorly because they got fired immediately <laughs> afterwards. So, like, either they're really bad at that game or it wasn't them. Um, yeah. James Campa makes a lot of sense, especially when you're trying to deflect blame off of an offensive line. And Scott Fitterer is responsible for building that line. James Campa is responsible for coaching it. So, if if that's the case and you've got these coaches that are doing the self-preservation right now, trying to save themselves, it's almost throwing Bryce under the bus and Bryce losing Thomas Brown will de facto be losing his biggest supporter on the staff at the same yeah. time of his rookie year. A guy that was really believing in him and trying to nurture him into the best version of himself that he could be. And mm-hmm. and that sucks for Bryce, man, because Bryce is such a genuine dude as well, from this, at least from like yep. the perception of, yep. of everything that he says. And, and I just really hope, man, that this doesn't have a major detrimental effect on Look what my play did to all of these coaches that I respected. Um, mm-hmm. Look at what my play has 
brought to my teammates. Like I've got guys yeah. like DJ Chark that most likely will not garner a contract even remotely what he thought he could get next season. Um, right. I hope that none of that stuff starts to play into it. And I hope that he gets paired with a coach that has the same adoration and, and viability like when thinking about Bryce Young that Thomas Brown has shown Bryce yeah. Young. Yeah, well said. All right. Well, I'm going to end it there uh, because I've kept you too long. It's been an hour and 15 minutes. Um, So I'll sign us off here in a second. But anything before we hop off here, um, first of all, thanks again. This was a blast. Thanks for Um, having me, man. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, man. Really enjoyed talking with you. Um, Anything you want to plug while you're on here? I know you've got a couple things going on, obviously, podcast, uh, cat. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, look, find me on uh, Twitter. It's Ricky Bobody. I've got a sign right above my head. You can see that. Um, I I do the contributing for Cat Crave. I've been really slacking on that. Sorry, Dean. Um, I I promise you I'll get better at that. Um, I'm actually probably going to start working on an article. I went on the Trey Boston watch party. Um, Yeah, I I drew an assignment for Cat Crave to write about why um, the Panthers could be an attractive destination for a head coach, right? And I've been really struggling with that the past couple of weeks um, after seeing all the stuff that's happening. But there was a moment when I was sitting there with that, with all the fans at the Trey Boston watch party, man. And I thought to myself, you know, this is one of the reasons is the fans. So that's going to be something that I bring out. Um, I'll have that article out here in the next little bit. Um, Kitty Lit Podcast, uh, me and my co-host Alex Bryant. He's terrific, man. He came up with all of this stuff. We're actually going to be opening up an editorial section on the Kitty Lit site as well. Um, we've got a, a writer that uh, is going to be collaborating with us at least throughout the summer um, that wants awesome. to do a little bit of editorial stuff. So we'll have that announcement coming out soon. Um, yeah, man, just just come and talk to me on Twitter, man. I always love talking ball. And, and anytime, if anyone else wants me on their podcast, as long as you're as cool as Ben, man, I'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I want to plug your uh, two. Your, your, you've been doing the Twitter spaces after the game yeah that's right right. yeah so um and that was something that tea time was doing um Mm -hmm. they run like the town hall and 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 t just got a little bit tired of the losing man and 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 i think for his (laughs) mental health he decided that he was gonna take a break from doing that so for post game um jump on twitter and and join the spaces well that's basically like you said at the beginning of this episode of your podcast it's it's essentially a therapy session for all the Panther fans we can <laughs> yeah lamb it together and, and air our grievances it's almost festivus anyway so we've got plenty of um really fun christmas stuff that we can gripe about and 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 try to figure <laughs> out how to make this a fun holiday season despite the constant losing um yeah, yeah so every every post game man come and talk to us for a couple of hours that's a really fun space man i enjoy being able to host that it is and it's cool to jump on there and just it's a good opportunity for, like you said, therapy session, and for like obviously uh, there's there's a few of us that have chosen to have a podcast so that we can just <laughs> air our grievances and talk about the team, but not everyone right. has done that, and so those Twitter spaces are awesome because it gives everybody the opportunity to just jump on there and and share their thoughts with other Panthers fans and. Kind yeah, of, uh, and, you, and you get the perspective way. from all the other yeah. fans because right? some fans see things a little bit differently, and then every now and then you get people that jump in that maybe have even more perspective, and, yeah. it, and it's really fun, man, to kind of like it's not like a learning experience necessarily, but you get to bounce off what you saw from the game and see if right. anyone else feels the same thing. Yeah, cool deal. All right, well that's it for us tonight. Uh, thanks everyone for listening on your favorite podcast platform or for watching on YouTube. We will be back next week 
talk about the Falcons game. Um, this is in Bank of America Stadium. Hopefully, it's not too bad of a Falcons takeover. I guess we'll see what happens. Um, but have a great week, everybody. And until then, keep purring and keep pounding.